athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. As always, thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. We've got a whole lot to get to today here on the show. I'm going to tell you what. I mean, you look at the NBA and the NBA Finals, and the Celtics have put themselves in a good position. I mean, I thought, I mean, I really thought that the Warriors would win this series in six. That's obviously not going to happen now. When I look at the Celtics, and the Celtics put themselves in great position after the victory, uh, when you look at that game uh, on Wednesday in game three, put themselves in great position. Yes, the Warriors came around third quarter. Uh, the Warriors were tough as they always were in the third quarter, but, but the Celtics hung around. Even though the Warriors took a bit of a lead there at, at one point in the third quarter, the Celtics still hung around it wasn't like game one when the Warriors outscored the Celtics 38 to 24 wasn't like that at all the uh, Celtics really hung around but put themselves because to me it, it didn't it, I thought that the the flow of that game in particular I thought that the Warriors really needed to have needed to have more of a dominating third quarter uh, they did not uh, they won the quarter, no doubt, but the Celtics hung, hung around. And then, you know, you look at the three stars of the Celtics. Two of the stars are under 25 years old. And, uh, you know, you look at Marcus Smart and what he's able, uh, has, has been able to accomplish. And then you look at the Warriors. Yeah, you got the big three in the Warriors. You know, I think Poole, Jordan Poole just hasn't been consistent. Klay Thompson clearly isn't the same player. He can still yet, you know, he can do some things, but he clearly isn't the same dominating player, especially on the deep. I think, I think where the Warriors are getting hurt, not only are the Warriors a, a smaller team than the Lakers and the Warriors are getting hurt right there, but you're also have a situation where your guards, if you're the Warriors from a defensive standpoint, I mean, you can go to work all day. There are mismatches all over the floor for the Celtics. And I think the Celtics have put themselves in a, in a great situation. We've, of course, got game five uh, to contend with on Sunday in Golden in San Francisco. Go back to, to San Francisco. So I think the Celtics are uh, in, in pretty good shape. A, a whole lot going on in the sports world. A couple of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Deshaun Watson situation. I want to talk about that and the sexual allegations that he has gotten now from 
66 women. Now, there was a New York Times article that came out and I read the entire article. I heard about the article. I, I tried not to listen to any of the commentary before I had a chance to read the article uh, in its entirety, in its context. And I'm going to tell you what, there are some revelations that came out in this particular article. Um, and by the way, when you think about the New York Times, I mean, the New York Times is extremely reputable. So if the New York Times is, I mean, like if the New York Times comes out with an article and the New York Times is saying what it's saying, and I invite you to read the article and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of what was in the article. Uh, you know, the two, to me, the two most reputable newspapers that there are around uh and of course you're gonna have some times where and listen the new york times i mean it's been found at times not to be reputable reputable at all right but generally speaking and i think with something like this and the thing that made this not only were there 66 women when originally over a 17 month period originally when Deshaun Watson and his lawyer uh, and lawyers said there were less than that, much less than that. Um, but now we've had uh, another woman come forward. Is that now 24 lawsuits against Deshaun Watson, 24 now. And when I read some of the details, I mean, these were graphic. The details a lot of times were graphic in nature. Uh, they some of them. Some of the encounters, I think three of them did actually involve uh, a sexual relationship between Deshaun Watson and the accuser. And, uh, you know, I, I, there weren't any rape allegations, but it did include that there was a lot of, you know, sexual talk, uh, especially at least in the article. And again, I, I, you know, I am a believer in the system that people should be presumed innocent until found guilty, right? So like, we, you know, Deshaun Watson's got to have his day in court. I mean, he's not going to have his day in court, obviously, because a, now what, what, what helps Deshaun Watson, but I think the system is flawed. Even though I do believe in the system, there's no doubt that the system is flawed because maybe the grand jury was flawed. Uh, you've had Watson. And then of course, after that, there was with the, with, uh, Deshaun Watson, not being indicted. You had a couple of teams, a couple of suitors that came after him. Uh, most notably the Cleveland Browns able to, uh, obtain his services, a $230 million contract, all of that money guaranteed. And the Browns knowing down ultimately on Deshaun Watson, and suspend him, right, decided, okay, we're only going to make that first year for you $1 million. So Deshaun Watson only going to be paid $1 million during that first year, okay, in anticipation of the National Football League coming down and suspending Watson. I don't believe, okay, that 24 women are all not telling the truth. I don't believe that. Um, I think something did happen. And, you know, again, when this rule, when this rule was implemented by the National Football League in terms of player conduct and players could be suspended 
if uh, you know if 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 the league uh, determined that uh, they did something that in essence embarrassed the league. Well, I mean, how many games do you think? And I'm going to be interested to see not only how many games Deshaun Watson is ultimately suspended, but I'm also going to be interested to see when the suspensions take place. I mean, some of what I read in this New York Times article was was very bad for Deshaun Watson. Again, a grand jury did decline to indict him. But I, again, I think the system is flawed. I think something did happen. To what degree? I don't know. I mean, you, you could look at it, its basis as a he said, she said kind of situation. But I think it's a little bit more than that, especially when you have 24 women that are coming forward. I don't know exactly what happened, but I mean, I'd be interested to see what happens to Watson in terms of how many games the league suspends him. Okay. Um, And does the league take into account the fact that the Browns structured his contract in such a way that he would, in essence, if he got suspended, lose for this first season, this upcoming season, for however many games, would lose less than a million dollars. Does the league look at that, too, as part of his suspension? Does the league suspend him for a year and a half? Look at Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, if you followed the baseball situation, the pitcher for the Dodgers accused of, you know, a a lot of sexual uh, misconduct, and that's saying it lightly compared to what I've read. Um Suspended two years by Major League Baseball. Now, it's diff, you know different uh, in, in terms of the leagues. No question about that. And, and we've seen the league come down soft on uh, on players for sexual misconduct. We've seen the league come down soft on uh, our, our, on players for uh, bad behavior. I mean, look at Ray Rice, for instance, especially when the video surfaced. I mean, we've seen the league just not get it right. The league's got to get this one right. And, I mean, again, you know, you can make the argument that what if all of these women are, you know, not telling the truth? I mean, I don't believe that, but let's say, you know, two grand juries decided not to indict. Uh, Maybe the league takes that into account. This situation has continued to get messier and messier. And I thought the whole point of this, what the league implemented some years ago, was you could get suspended for, in essence, embarrassing the league. And this has become an embarrassment. This is an embarrassment uh, to the league. Uh, I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know all of what happened. I I don't know. I Again, I don't believe that all 24 of these women are not telling the truth. I've read some of the deposition when when uh, when Deshaun Watson w- was deposed by the accuser's lawyer, and it really, I mean, it really, really, really looks bad. The New York Times did a really good job on this piece in terms of detailing all 66 women. So they basically came out, just give you a little bit of an excerpt uh, uh, to get to the 66 women. 24 have sued him. There's a woman who sued but then withdrew the complaint because of privacy and security concerns. Two women who filed criminal complaints against Watson but did not sue him, right? So that's what, 26, 27, 15 therapists. And it it gets into this whole thing. Like, why do you need 
all all of these women are 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 therapists or supposed to be therapists. Sixty six different therapists in a seventeen month period. Like you, if you're it, this makes Deshaun Watson look terrible. Fifteen therapists who who issue statements of support. Now there are that that have issued support of Watson at the request of his lawyer. You got four therapists. Um, uh, that uh, the message therapy group contracted with the Texans. You have, so my point is that the New York Times has broken down all 66 women and um, and, and and accounted, I should say, for all 66 women. Still to come here on Box to Row, more thoughts on the NBA Finals and some comments made by Washington Commanders defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Still to come also, we're going to talk some NBA with Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina, served in total wine all over North Carolina, Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's Salt Box, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Attention, those of you looking to go on a fun vacation and see the world on the cheap. Today, the U.S. dollar is worth even more in other countries, so there's never been a better time to travel outside the USA. The dollar is worth over $1.30 in Canadian dollars, and it's the same for Australia. You can fly there today and have fun and maximize your travel dollar. Your U.S. dollar is worth over $3 in Brazilian reals, and it's worth over $18 in Mexican pesos. Plus, in Argentina, it's worth over $27 in Argentine pesos. Just think of the bargains you'll get. And the way you get the cheapest airfare to any destination is by calling Tickets That Cheap. Save up to 75% on your foreign vacation tickets. Don't wait. Call now. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. That's 802-317-1987. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Box row. to Box to Row. Box to Row. Y'all heard, take it from the top. One, two. My mic sound nice, check one. My mic sound nice, check two. My mic sound nice, check three. Are you ready to rock? Y'all come here, NBA playoffs, or in, I should say NBA finals and NBA talk. With Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Also, I tell you what, the the L.A. Rams seem to have more money than than they can count. I mean, you know, Aaron Donald gets a big deal. We'll talk about that. Cooper Cup gets an extension. We'll talk about that. You know, are the Rams the team to beat 
or to repeat as Super Bowl champions? I mean, I guess you would have to say so, but we know that it's very, very difficult to repeat as Super Bowl champions. So I would say, yes, they're the team to beat, but will the, I guess the, the better question is, can, in fact, the Rams repeat it as Super Bowl champions? I don't know about that. Jack Del Rio. So let me talk about Jack Del Rio. If you hadn't heard the a, a couple of things. First, he called the uh, the uh, the the January 6th riots on the Capitol a dust up for which he apologized for. He actually apologized for calling it a dust up. But he stood behind some comments that he made a little bit earlier in the week uh, and that he posted on Twitter. And this is what he posted on Twitter on Monday. Quote, would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed. But this is, and then he says, hashtag common sense and when he when he's ta- when he's referring to this, he means the capital riot, the capital riot. So he's so basically what he's doing is saying, well, why are we making such a big deal about the capital, uh, the January sixth riots, and not as big a deal about the looting uh, that happened, the riots, the civil unrest, et cetera, as it relates or as it related to the murder of George Floyd going back to uh, May of 2020. And I mean, I just thought, and and it's interesting because I had heard about this and then I wanted to kind of catch, you know, I always like, as I tell you all the time, I like to catch things in context. So I'd heard about this, uh, but then I went on the uh, commander's YouTube page and he, he talked about it actually at a press conference and, um, he talked about it and he, he at first said he, you know, he, he kind of didn't really want to talk about it. But then he as they asked him, he said, well, look, I'm going to I'm going to talk about answer football questions. Right. So then he starts answering football questions. Then towards the end, I mean, I think the, the reporters wanted him to before he left, kind of wanted him to talk about, you know, his statements, because I, I mean, is it I mean, is it just me? Isn't it obvious to you why this is an issue in terms of what Jack Del Rio is saying now? Maybe it's not. I mean. You know, I, I felt a certain kind of way, right, when I heard him make these statements, I really felt a certain kind of way when I heard him make these statements. But again, press conference is getting ready to wrap up. He's talking about the defense and what to expect from whom and all those kind of things. And then unsolicited. He says, quote, why are we not looking into those things? If we're going to talk about it, why are we not looking into those things? And again, when he says in this context, when he says those things, he's talking about the civil unrest from two years ago. He goes on to say, I can look at images on the TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust up. As I mentioned, he apologized for that at the Capitol. Nothing burned down. And we're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's kind of two standards. And if we apply the same standard and we're going to be reasonable with each other, let's have a discussion. That's all it was. Let's have 
a discussion, end quote. So, I mean, you know, there's obvious, I mean, there's, there's, there's obvious visuals from this, right? Like most of the rioters on the Capitol, and, 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 and first of all, it's two different things. I mean, that's first of all, you're talking about an insurrection of the Capitol building, uh, as you could call an insurrection to overthrow the government. I mean, if you wanted to look at it, uh, you know, from that vantage point, right? Whereas we're talking about, it's just, it's two different things. But from the visual standpoint, right? I look at the visuals. I see most of the Capitol rioters are white. I look at the civil unrest. I mean, I'm not even going to say, I mean, there were a lot of black folks that were uh, at the unrest. There's a lot of white folks, too, that were doing uh, some of the, you know, committing, perpetrating some of the acts with the, you know, breaking glass of the businesses and so forth. So I think this is a bad look, an extremely bad look as it relates to Jack Del Rio. The reporters, I mean, came out and asked him, well, look, you've got, you know, I felt a certain kind of way about this situation. And I felt this was a, a, a situation of race. And further, if you're the commanders, you're trying to rebuild your image and all this stuff you've had and all the. Now you've got your defensive coordinator. First of all, why is the defensive coordinator even talking about anything like this? Yes, he has a right to his opinion. He can say what he wants. He's an individual. But to me, he comes off as a selfish ball player because this is an organization that's trying to repair its image. And you come out and make comments like this. And I and from some of what I read, you know, even Jonathan Allen, the star defensive tackle for the commanders, came out and said, hey, you know, he's entitled to his opinion you know, Ron Rivera said the same thing, but I got to I, I mean, you got to know, I mean, just from him coming out with the apology of even, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, it's not really much of an apology. Uh, I just, you know, for me, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, when I, when I hear somebody say that, I'm like, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it, you know, the, I guess the thing for me is why did Jack Del Rio feel the need to say that does he have the right to say it sure he does uh he is the defensive coordinator of the washington commanders but at the end of the day first and foremost he is jack del rio he's his own man he's his own person i mean i definitely get all of that but i mean you you gotta know that there's gonna be some backlash behind that which there was a lot of backlash behind that no question now the the commanders may not be saying this publicly. I mean, I think it, when I looked at the when I looked at the, the press conference and that's why I always say that context matters. Like Kendall Fuller, the one of the corners for the commanders, they asked him, well, did you you know, what do you what do you make of the comments that Del Rio said on Twitter? He said he didn't see the comments, which I think uh, maybe he didn't read verbatim. He said, I didn't see him. I didn't see them on Twitter. I mean, certainly he heard about it. I'm sure he was prepped prior to, and maybe he didn't read the comments, but when someone actually read the comments to him, you know, he said, well, uh, I mean, he didn't really have a comment at the moment. Um, and if, it, if he did, it would be something that he would address with Del Rio personally. So, I mean, I get all of that, and, but I think that, you know, again, if you're the commanders, right, and you just had the name change, you're going through this thing, all of this stuff with 
with Daniel Schneider. He's essentially been muted uh, as the owner. His his wife Tanya is now that you know running the face of the organization. When you're talking about decisions at the highest level being made, um, you know you've got these allegations, these federal allegations against the of, of improprieties with the Washington Commanders as far as money is concerned. I mean, it's just a lot. I mean, to the point that we haven't heard much of this, but um, to the point that, you know, it, it may come a time when the owners may make a vote uh, as as to whether Daniel Snyder should continue to own the commanders. I think we're a little bit far away from that. And I don't know that the support is there for something like that, um, because this is that ownership is a brotherhood. And a lot of these guys you know, think the same way and there's the camaraderie there and they, these guys are, you know, these owners are rich beyond measure in a lot of respects. So, you know, to vote somebody else out, a fellow owner uh, would would in essence be saying that the owners never have ma- have never done anything wrong or made a mistake. So I, mean, I don't know if we will ever come to that point. But if you're the commanders, any little misstep like this, this is a misstep. Again, it's a misstep by Jack Del Rio because you're trying to uh, portray if you're the commanders, you've you've made you've gone through the full name change. Now, we went from the Washington Redskins for all of those years to the Washington football team for that year and a half, whatever it was. And now to the commanders. So we've made a full transition to the commanders. Uh, And, you know, you had the the deal with 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 the with the federal situation. And now. I mean, this, you know, this pales in comparison to (laughs) what's happening from a federal standpoint with the commanders. But it's just another thing that's negative in the news. And again, he's Jack Del Rio at the end of the day. But his title for this team says defensive coordinator. And it's just another negative situation that goes against the Washington commanders. Your thoughts. I mean, do how do you feel about. And if you if you care, maybe you don't care. Um, but what do you think about the comments that Jack Del Rio made comparing the civil unrest after the George Floyd murder to the January 6th riot on the Capitol? Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R. O-W. Still to come here on Box to Row, the Rams are the Rams, the Super Bowl favorites, the defending champions. Are they the, the favorites to win it again in 2022? Plus, going to talk some more NBA Finals up next. Going to be joined by Mike Wallace, Senior Editor of Grind City Media. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. That's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I would say representation is it's not a requirement. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, 
We are representation for women, for black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all and, and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, it's really focused. It's really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you can get to it. <laughs> Man, you know what is good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Winston-Salem State, where I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. 
Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. And you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. You've got it locked to the program. We're going to switch gears a little bit, talk some NBA. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, has been covering the NBA for a very, very long time. And one of the things for our new listeners that we also got to put out there. Uh, Mike just has just completed his sixth season as the senior editor of Grind City Media, covers the Memphis Grizzlies. But not only that, Mike is a proud Grambling State alum as he joins us here in the program. What's going on, Mike? Hey, you know that. I'm glad you put that out there for, for sure, man. I'm a proud Grambling State alum. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be covering this league uh, for many, many years, man. And we go we go all the way back, man, to, to when we both we're uh, scratching around in these small press boxes, man, trying to get our names out there and get to the point where we are now. So it's good to be back with you every time I come on, D. Absolutely. Mike, of course, uh, he's referencing uh, when he was the uh, the beat writer for Florida A&M for the, the Tallahassee Democrat. I was uh, I was in athletic administration at North Carolina A&T, so we do go back a long way. Uh, what it, This series, this series between the Celtics and the, um, and the uh, Warriors – where did you where did you see this series playing out? Obviously, the Celtics have you know sort of put themselves in good position, but initially, no matter you know aside of where we are now, how did you foresee this series ultimately playing out before it started? You know, I said from the beginning when the series started that you know you're talking about the best defensive team uh, since January. Um, the Boston Celtics were clearly the best defensive team in the league since January. And Golden State was the best offensive team uh, in the league coming through the postseason and coming down the stretch. Um, so you had two marquee teams that did it different ways. Um, they're phenomenal on the wings uh, in terms of the kind of talent that they have with, you know, Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart on one side. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Clay Steph and, and Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green and Otto Porter. I mean, you just had tremendous wings um, in this series. Everyone is interchangeable. Everyone switches defensively everyone you know can can do a lot of things versatility wise uh with the basketball so you you looked at these clearly th- this is the cream of the crop when you talk about where the league is right now um from a health standpoint and both of these teams are pretty much still in their prime boston is on the younger end of, of their prime they're just entering sort of their prime area golden state is on the peak end or, or the other side of the mountain now coming off of their prime to a certain extent um and, and it's a classic matchup man so i felt like it was going to be a great one um, for the most part, these games have been compelling. And, you know, I, I said it from the beginning. I felt like Boston was the team that was going to win it in six, but my heart was pulling for Golden State. And that still continues to be the case, even as we've reached this stage of the series. No doubt. And you know what the Celtics have been able to do? I mean, I think, you know, I think even if you go back to game, if you go back to game one, I think I thought Golden State ran out of gas. Game three, they maybe not so much, but... You saw the Celtics really dig down and dig deep in that fourth quarter, use their size, just really dominating. Um, plus, not only that, you're talking about a much younger team and two guys that are, what, under 25, uh, and then you're talking about a Warriors team, even though it has experience, you're talking about a Warriors team 
that, you know, where the, the prime players have some age on them a little bit, if you will. Yeah, you do. You do. You do. And, and, and But they're still like, you know, the Golden State Warriors, they age well uh, because they shoot the ball so well. Like, you know, I mean, guys continue to get uh, be great shooters well into their 20, late 20s, early 30s, and even late 30s. I mean, you know, those guys don't, you know, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Jason Kidd was a guy that couldn't shoot the ball at all when he first got into the league. I mean, you gave him the 15-foot jumper and, you know, you dared him to shoot. He could do a lot of other things with the ball. But as he became a better shooter, um, he got older and became a better shooter. And, and he became a knockdown shooter. And you see that with big guys, too. Patrick couldn't shoot the ball at all, you know, coming out of Georgetown. Then he became one of the best turnaround jump shooters that we've seen in the league. So those are two extreme examples. I'm talking about two of the most elite shooters we've ever seen in this league. So their game ages pretty well. That's why they can open their window a lot longer uh, than some of these other teams that rely solely on athleticism. Um, and, and in Boston, man, these guys have been they, – they've been good a long time. You realize how young they are, but Boston has been in this discussion in the Eastern Conference Finals mix for quite some time. And this was a team that got almost got there, should have got there, you know, years ago when they had, you know, the young Isaiah Thomas, the, the, the smaller Isaiah Thomas, and then they had Kyrie Irving and couldn't get over the hump. So these guys, Brown and Tatum, have been knocking on the door for a minute, um, and now they're finally looking like they're ready for their breakthrough. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, knows the NBA inside and out. He joins us here on the program as we talk uh, some NBA finals and some NBA. Let's switch gears a little bit, Mike. I want to talk about uh, the hiring of Darvin Ham by the Lakers. You've been covering the league a very long time. First of all, I want to get your thoughts on that hiring. You know, it, it was it was it was surprising in a sense. You know, this was a team that when you stack up <laughs> you stack up all of these veterans and all of these guys in their late thirties and, and pushing, you know, well past the point of their primes of their careers, and then you bring in a rookie coach, that doesn't seem like a great mix, um, to me on the surface. It doesn't seem like, you know, you're giving a guy you know, you're putting Darvin Ham in a tough, tough, tough situation, uh, especially with so many questions about who's running the front office and how you know, what kind of influence there is. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it reminds me a lot of a situation where, you know, David Fisdale, when he first came to Memphis, I mean, it, it sounded well, and he had a lot of these great connections. He was respected. They was, you know, considered a no-nonsense guy, and he, he's a straight shooter. But then when the rubber hit, you know, when the rubber hits the road and, and, and things start getting hot, you know, you got to look around and wonder who's listening to who, and can you command the locker room, and can you command – you know, the attention of your front office and have them respect what you want to do. So, and vice versa. Um, this is going to be a tough situation, man. I, I don't know if I would have wanted this uh, job, you know, as, as <laughs> if I'm Darvin Ham, but there are only 30 of these jobs in the world. And, and when you have a chance to coach one of the most glamorous franchises that's out there, you don't turn it down because in his case, he had to get, you know, doors closed on him a number of different times before he even got this door open to him. So, I'm hoping for the best. I'm, I'm hoping that this is more of a uh, Ime Udoka uh, situation um, where he steps in and has some success with a veteran group, so to speak, and, and had the strong front office behind him, more so than, than some of these other places where I see guys get in there and get run out pretty quickly. How good a job do you think he'll do? I mean, do, and do, have you covered him? Do you Have you talked with him yeah. before? I, I have. I have. As a matter of fact, you know, when you look at him, I mean, this was one of those rugged power forwards undersized guy that made a living in this league with his toughness and, and being, you know, a, a rugged rebounder and, and a physical player. And, you know, he didn't take any, 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 any crap from anyone. And that's how he coached too. Um, 
you know, the Grizzlies coach, Taylor Jenkins, was on that staff uh, with Darvin Ham, um, you know, under Mike Budenhoser. Um, so, you know, I, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, when the Grizzlies position opened, um, you know, Darvin Ham was considered a lead assistant in Milwaukee, and the job went to Taylor Jenkins, who was a secondary assistant at the time, uh, behind Darvin Ham. So there was some guys that went ahead of Darvin Ham, uh, and he was in front of the line. So, you know, but he waited his time, and, and he's patient, and he's the kind of player, the coach that players should want to play for. And um, and I think that speaks well for him. Um, it speaks to his credibility and his willingness to learn and lead through listening. And sometimes um, when you're willing to listen to your guys and, and willing to know that it's about the players more so than it's about your style or what you want to do all the time, I think that's a great way for him to get started. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on the program. What do you, what do you think he's going to be able to do? What do you make of his comments uh, uh, with respect to Russell Westbrook specifically as a guy that uh, uh, they, you know, I guess he sees as a guy that is going to make more of a commitment to the defensive uh, side of the ball? And, and he's right. He's right. But he also came in with respect for Russell Westbrook, too, because he said, listen, this is one of the greatest players of all time. And he's going to go down, you know, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm coaching a guy that, you know, yeah, he's a Mercurial figure, but he's also a guy that, that understands that his legacy is at stake right now. And, and Darvin Ham's primary job is to figure out a way, as long as Russell Westbrook is on that roster, uh, to activate him and to get him back to being an effective basketball player. And how do you do that? You challenge him in ways that, okay, listen, how do you get Russell Westbrook to his best game? His best game is in the open court where he can use what's left of that athleticism and still at an elite level um, and get easy baskets and get into the paint. Uh, you don't want to run a half-court offense with Russell Westbrook. So how do you initiate pace? How do you initiate up-tempo offense? you got to be better on the defensive end. you got to create turnovers, live ball turnovers. you got to be great in the transition game to go from quick defense to quicker offense. And if you can get Russell Westbrook going up and down like that, then you allow him to unlock some of the things that were, uh, you know, that 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 made him that you know MVP of the league and triple double king and all of those kind of things that he was just a few ha handful of years ago. So let me switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the team you cover, the Grizzlies, who you know through four games against the Warriors could have easily been up three games to one. We could easily be talking about the war, the, uh, the Grizzlies uh, against the Celtics in the NBA Finals. What, it, what I mean, what are the Grizzlies? Don't tease me that way, man. Don't tease me like that, man. <laughs> but but, but you, know, you know what I mean. I mean, like, they were right there in a lot of games, probably should have won a lot of those games. But, I mean, what do you, what do you make uh, or what do you think the Grizzlies need in terms of taking it to that next step, that next level? You know, experience. This was the experience that they needed. They needed to get the experience from a series against a team that's done it before, that won championships. You know, at the end of the day, you look at the Golden State Warriors and you look, you lose to them in six games and you say, you know what, we lo I lost to a three-time NBA champion, a dynasty, a team that, you know, frankly, <laughs> think about it. John Morant grew up watching Steph Curry play basketball. You know what I'm saying? Golden State was dominating when half the Grizzlies rosters were still in middle school. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, when they first started making their runs and all of those kind of things in 2015. You know, again, the Grizzlies are the second youngest team in the NBA. You know, only one player on the roster was older than 28. So when you look at the core of the Desmond Baines, the John Morants, the Jaron Jackson Juniors, uh, you know, the, the Zaire Williams, all of these guys are 22, 23, and 20 years old. 
So you you subtract six years from that or seven years from that, and you're talking about guys that were just getting to high school when, when Steph Curry and those guys were on the ascent to being a great team. So you lose to a team like that, you're fine. But the question was, what do they need? Experience is the best teacher, a little bit of humility, um, and the fact is you need to be healthy. And, and maybe uh, one more wing player that can get you over the hump uh, from a defensive standpoint. And if you could do that, and those are all things that the Grizzlies have within their reach. They're well positioned in the salary cap. They have two first-round picks this year, another two next year, um, and they have their best three players all under contract, under rookie-scale contracts. So they have everything lined up to get even better next year if they can avoid any kind of setback with an injury. So they'll be there. They're, they're about two years ahead of schedule right now, and that gives them the hunger to want to get right back to where they were, and that was just one step away from their Western Conference Finals. Check out his great work at grindcitymedia.com. Also follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. He is Mike Wallace. He is the senior editor of Grind City Media. Joins us here on the program. Mike, appreciate the time, man. Uh, you know, I guess you don't really have any much time off, but it uh, seems like you're getting off a little bit earlier these days, so kind of enjoy that, <laughs> man, and we'll talk with you real soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I definitely appreciate it, D. We've got more of the program Box on the other side. Box is your source for conversations with and content on some of the biggest names in sports. HBCU Sports and Entertainment. Boxtero.com. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. BoxToRow.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the Game of the Week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. BoxToRow.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? BoxToRow.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All-American teams and weekly media coaches polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And BoxToRow.com, your HBCU sports leader. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Welcome back to the program. We've got a pivotal game five on Monday in San Francisco as the Warriors will host the Celtics. You know, I'd be interested to see the what the numbers look like in terms of the number of viewers for game four between the Warriors and the Celtics. It was a Friday night game. I, I don't I just don't like that scheduling. I don't like the NBA scheduling of the finals. I mean, I'm okay with more than a day in between games. But I mean, the, we, the, the schedule went, we went from last Thursday 
to Sunday to Wednesday, Friday. I mean, why not have gone Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, or Tuesday? I mean, you don't have to have two games in between each game. But, I mean, I just don't I just don't know if a Friday night is like, is that a great night? I mean, if you want the casual fan, like the hardcore fan is going to sit back and watch the game, no doubt about it. But the casual fan, Friday night, you know, we're – we're still in the midst of a pandemic, but we're kind of coming out of it. Plus, it's really nice. It's warm outside in most places, so you have that outside activity where you can do things outside. I mean, do we really want to have games uh, on Friday? Uh, but anyway, it is what it is, and we'll see ultimately what happens on Monday. I really like. I really like the way. I mean, the Celtics are in good position, obviously, and I like the way that the Celtics have played. Um, I think Tatum hasn't been as consistent as you would like for him to have been. I mean, I, ha- I thought he had a solid, you know, game three on Wednesday. But I, I look at Jalen Brown. He's been absolutely steady. Marcus Smart has been good. And as I mentioned earlier, you have a situation where you, not only do you have a in, in, in talking with Mike Wallace, you have a younger Celtics team. I mean, you've got that experience. Like, it, it's hard to trump experience, and the Warriors definitely have the experience. But you get in that latter part of the game, you know, Jordan Poole hasn't been as consistent. I mean, when I really think about it, I mean, if you know, I like Otto Porter. I mean, I think he hit some big shots. I mean, I like Andrew Wiggins. I like his game. I mean, you'd like for him to be a little bit more consistent. But he's a, he's a guy that's younger, and he can play. He can get you baskets. He's going to knock down the open shot from outside. And he's going to play a little bit of D. The problem for the Warriors is you have guys uh, that uh, the, the Warriors' size is an issue. Again, you have a Clay Thompson who's not the Clay Thompson that we knew from several years ago. You have a Steph Curry while he's a willing defender and a better defender than we've seen him in the past. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still not a great defender. He's still undersized. I mean, Marcus Smart can take him. Uh, I'm not going to say whenever he wants, but Marcus Smart can take him, post him. Certainly, there, there's no guarding Brown or Tatum. Plus, you look at a, 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 a you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, you could look, really, if you look at Brown and Tatum, they're both interchangeable in terms of that 2-3 either way. I mean, that's a that's a tough guard for Curry. It, it's, a, it, it's a better guard, I think, for Clay Thompson, but Clay Thompson's got to be a little bit smarter, which he is. Uh, I just mean, generally speaking, he has to be because the physical attributes that Thompson had going back a couple of years ago as one of the better two-way players in the league is just not there. Um, then I look at it from an offensive standpoint, uh, especially for Thompson. He's a guy that when I look at and think about Clay Thompson, to me, Thompson's jumper, Thompson's jump shot is as pure as Steph Curry's jump shot is. Now, you look at Curry, he can hit from long distances. You uh, remember going back to game two, that crazy shot he hit from like the sideline at the uh, Warriors bench. I mean, it was just, I mean, his range is unbelievable. But when you talk about pound for pound pureness, of a jump shot, uh, and especially 
jumpers that are, are you know, let's say, uh, the three-point line in. I mean, Curry's as pure. But again, you know, I, I'm, I can't really say that Thompson can't get his own shot because I've seen flashes in this series where he certainly can. But he, but again, because of the injury, and, and listen, it takes a, it takes some time to come back, you know, from this injury. He's had a couple of injuries over the last, you know, two and a half years or so. And so it's definitely going to take him some time to come back. I think we'll see Thompson a little bit better. But again, he's going to be a year older. But then again, you know, he's not terribly old. So, you know, he just needs a year to really, really be able to come back and be the Clay Thompson that we knew him once to be. I just think that it's an uphill battle for the Warriors, even though the game is in San Francisco on Monday. I get that. I think it's still going to be a, a bit of an uphill battle. Um, you know, I thought coming into this series that it definitely was going to be the Warriors in six. Uh, what a, you know, what a, what a surprise. I think the outcome of game one wasn't the surprise. It was the fact that the Warriors were blowing the Celtics out 38 to 24 third quarter run. And then in the fourth quarter, tired out. I mean, that's not to take anything away from the Celtics and what the Celtics were able to do, both from an offensive and a defensive standpoint in game one. It's just that in p- part of the, the narrative for that and the 40 to 16 outscoring of the Celtics by the Warriors in that fourth quarter in game one, a lot of that I think was because the, the, the Warriors ultimately got tired. Um, Man, I you know if I have to give a prediction for Game Five, um, going back to San Francisco, I mean I think I'm going to go with the Warriors. I think the Warriors are going to find a way to be able to pull it out and get that victory. Want to switch gears, talk a little National Football League, and more specifically, talk about the LA Rams. Now the Rams are all in, obviously, right? It's a win now mentality because you look at the you, you look at your three biggest contracts and you, you know the Rams were fortunate to be able to get Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, on the contract that they got him on he ultimately gets hurt in the Super Bowl uh, goes out he has yet to resign he may not resign but I mean I think when you look at the Rams you know you go out and get Allen Robinson you've got Cooper Cup I mean you've got Matt Stafford I mean you look at these the four big contracts and in five, really, if you look at the at the Rams, you look at Aaron Donald, who signed a little bit um, signed last week, um, got the in excess of thirty million dollars, big contract, and deservedly so. Listen, if you're the Rams, you have to pay Aaron Donald. Not only is he the best defensive player in the National Football League and one of the best players overall. In the league, I know we tend to look at quarterbacks as the best players in the league, but not only is he, he's one of the best players in the league, and if it were not for him being able to get that sack of Burrow late in the game against Cincinnati, I mean, Cincinnati had, what, gone three straight plays, was marching down the field, and you needed Aaron Donald to come through and make a play, and ultimately Donald made the play. You had to pay him. They paid him in excess of the $30 million a year. He's the highest paid non-quarterback in the history of the National Football League. You know, of course, as we 
excuse me, as we stand right now. And he definitely had to be paid. You also had to pay Cooper Cup, and they're paying him for down the road too. So you're looking at the Rams looking in the next couple of years. And, and remember that TV money kicks in where the salary cap is going to go up next year as well. So, I mean, the, the and, 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 you know, the Rams have, you know, have the revenue. Uh, going to have the revenue to be able to do it, but it's not going to be for an extended amount of time. It's going to be within a short window, uh, three or four. I mean, I say short window, and short is relative. Maybe a three or four year period where the Rams are going to be able to, you know, try to make multiple Super Bowl runs. So big deal for Cooper Cup to to get resigned, um, and it's a it's. It's something that, you know, if you're the Rams, you 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 had to get this contract done for Cooper Cup. You don't want him to, you know, to 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 kind of linger out there, want him to, you know, be content. And so uh, this the Rams are making a power play. Again, it goes back to the question I asked in the first segment. I want to get your thoughts on this. Do are the Rams now the favorite to repeat as Super Bowl champions? I mean, I think you would have to say coming in that the Rams are, but I mean, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to look at, you know, I'm going to look at the Buccaneers. I'm going to look at also the uh, Packers as well. I think the Packers are going to be fine. Yes, no Devontae Adams. Uh, the, the problem with the Packers is the Packers just, and Aaron Rodgers more specifically, not able to get over the hump in postseason play the last three years. You go out, in what amounted to the for the Packers as the first round of the playoffs because remember the Packers had a bye so what is that the divisional round I guess is where the Packers went out and then the two previous years went out in the NFC championship game that's got to change regular season no doubt you got to look at the talent of the Packers the offense is the the defense is going to be really good once again that's a team that's going to be good regular season. The question for the Packers becomes, what are you going to do in the playoffs? I look at the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers are going to be really, really good this year. Um, will the Cowboys make a run? I, I don't. I mean, it seems like the Cowboys should make a run. Um, they, the, the Cowboys have the talent to make the run. There's no question about that. But the Cowboys seem to, for the last couple of years, seem to have had the talent to make the run. Less the year, of course, Dak Prescott. And even that year, it looked like they could have, some good things could have happened. But, you know, Dak Prescott got hurt and that derailed all of the Cowboys' um, uh, momentum and possibility of being able to make uh, a run. Listen, I'm a Commanders fan. I don't know that the Commanders, I, I you know, they can't be a favorite. Like, I'm not going to sit there and put them as a favorite. I mean, what? What's the 49ers? I, I like the commanders, though, but what about the 49ers? Could the 49ers make a run? Is it going to be Jimmy Garoppolo uh, at the quarterback? Uh, we'll ultimately see, but I think you have to say that the Rams right now are the favorites to repeat as Super Bowl champions. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, for joining us on the program. The HBCU Football Daily Podcast returns on July 18th. Don't miss it. We're looking forward to another great season. And always remember to support those that support Yo Box Toro is produced by DW Communications.
in a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long 